Hi, my name is Mike, and I will be your sermonator for the evening. Um, there are, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but Scum of the Earth has traditionally been a church of people ranging in age pretty much from 18 to 30 for overall, right? For most of our time. And um, you, uh, <laughs> you've seen a lot of weddings come by this church in the last few years, um, I think, anyway, right? In fact, there's one of them right up there in the corner. But uh, but this year, uh, Kimberly and John, Kimberly Skolton, John Hyde are going to get married, right, coming up? You guys all know them? Yeah, Aaron and Julia are going to get hitched a little bit before them later on next month. Uh, if you guys remember John Egan and Melissa Peabody, they're getting married. I'm actually flying to Portland to do that wedding in July. Um, Jackie and Phil just got married. For the third time, fourth time coming up soon. And then um, you guys uh, remember Tall Paul Keen and Sarah Connor. I just announced uh, they were getting married sometime, uh, I think New Year's Eve or something like that. Uh, just before this, James and Kimberly got married just a few months ago. Where are they? Where are those lovebirds? There they are right there. And Tiffany and Jeremy just announced, yes, we just got that invitation in the mail. And um, Nate and Katie are coming up. Yeah, I'm doing. I mean, and then um, I don't know if you guys. Maybe you guys remember the f-bomb poet Kate Mackay. Um, Kate uh, just married Paul Merchant uh, at the very, very end of uh, of last year. So this is just the last several months of scum of the earth. I mean, that's what goes on here. And I. Uh, so all I had to say, if you're young and unmarried, and you wish to be, this is a great church for you. Oh, truth in advertising. Truth in advertising. But, you know, sad to say, and maybe you know this, maybe you don't, Scum has seen its uh, share of divorces, which are so painful, aren't they, really? I mean, it's kind of a shock to the system uh, because I think you're, you're young enough where everything is ahead of you, you know? Everything is ahead. You know, the f- first job, you know, is ahead of you. The uh, first apartment, the first car, the new, you know, whatever. I mean, things for the most part for scum folks are all ahead. And... Um, and then, all of a sudden, you're looking at the possibility of people not making it. I mean, and it's, it's difficult when you've watched them fall in love, you know, get engaged, go to premarital counseling, go, you went to the wedding, went to the reception, you bought a gift, and then, you know, it seems like a couple years out, you start to hear about some problems, and then people are separating, they're splitting up. Sometimes they're with other people, and you're going, what happened to my friends? What happened? We were so full of promise. What happened? And it's not just, you know, at scum of the earth. It's every place you turn and look, people are getting divorced. Young people. And we're going to talk about that tonight. Because my guess is nobody enters marriage lightly or ill-advisedly, as they say in the wedding ceremonies. Nobody gets married thinking that it's going to deconstruct soon. But it happens, and you're watching it happen. And so what's going on? Let's try and pull this thing apart. Let's try and figure out, does the Bible have anything to say about our dilemma? What happens when you're not in love with your spouse anymore?
So we're going to look at a few scriptures here. Uh, some of them will be very, very familiar to you. The first one is the one you hear a lot of weddings. 1 Corinthians 13. I'm just picking a few verses out of 1 Corinthians 13. The Apostle Paul talks about love. And the Greek word he's using here is agape. Agape. He says, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. The next line, you guys know what the next line is? I didn't put it up there. Love never fails. Exactly. Love never fails. And yet we're watching it fail all around us. Sometimes we're watching our parents' love fail. It's like when the great-grandma and great-grandpa, you know, 90-some years old, who decide to get a divorce. And um, they go to the judge and they're saying they're getting divorced after 70 years of marriage and the judge asks them, what, what, why are you doing this now? Why are you waiting until you're in your 90s to, to get divorced? And they answer, well, we had to wait for the kids to die first. So, but really, seriously, it's, it's, it's jarring. When people have been married a long time and you think have been through a lot together, get divorced, but it happens. Because love never fails. So what's going on here? Well, the Bible talks about other kinds of love. Let's take a look at these. Proverbs 5, 18 through 19. May your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be captivated by her love. All right. This is in the Bible? Seriously? Oh, my gosh. Is the writer of Proverbs, perhaps King Solomon, is he talking about the love that is patient and kind? Is that, this, is that what he's talking about? I don't think so. Talking about a different kind of love here. Talking to a guy, may your fountain be blessed. What do you think he might have been saying? Fountains and breasts in the same Bible verse. This is going to be your favorite Bible verse from now on, I can tell. But he's encouraging a young man to rejoice in the wife of his youth. Perhaps they're not young anymore. Perhaps they're 20, 30, 40 years older. And so King Solomon, in all of his wisdom, is saying... A loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breasts always satisfy you. You're going, ew, I don't want to think about that. Well, you better think about it. Isn't that the kind of marriage you want? Wasn't it awesome when a couple summers ago, Les Avery, who was closing in on 80, came and talked about how hot he was for his 84-year-old wife? And he said, he said, if I had heard that when I was your age, I would have cringed. But all of us are going, that's awesome. That's awesome. That's what I want. Different kind of love, though. Song of Songs, <laughs> one of my favorite books in the Bible. Song of Songs, chapter 2. Like an apple tree among the trees of the forest is my lover among the young men. So the speaker's a woman. You get this? I delight to sit in his shade, and his fruit is sweet to my taste. He has taken me to the banquet hall, and his banner over me is love. Now, you've heard that verse before, right? But it's always used for Jesus? Uh-uh. Sorry. Context is everything, people. 
It is not about Jesus. Maybe in a metaphorical sense, since Jesus is the husband of his bride, the church, but that's about as far as it goes. This is a woman who's excited about intimate relationship with her husband. He has taken me to the banquet hall, and his banner over me is love. Strengthen me with raisins. Refresh me with apples, for I am faint with love. Wait a minute, I thought love was patient and kind. No, different kind of love we're talking about here. His left arm is under my head. His right arm embraces me. Okay, are you getting the picture here? They have to be reclining, don't they? This is, this is pretty sensual here. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. In other words, be careful. This is, this is heady stuff. This is intoxicating, this whole love thing. And then, more specifically, and actually I remember reading this at uh, a couple weddings here at SCUM. Song of Songs, chapter 8, verses 6 through 7. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death. It's jealousy unyielding as the grave. If you're goth, you've got to love that verse. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot wash it away. If one were to give all the wealth of his house for love, it would be utterly scorned. So this love that the Bible is talking about is passionate. It's full of desire. It's full of longing. There's almost an enchantment about it. While the other love that we find in 1 Corinthians 13 is unconditional love. It's sacrificial love. It speaks of commitment over the lifetime of a person. It's what we call covenant love. Two very different kinds of love. In Greek... There are two words that describe these kinds of love. The first, 1 Corinthians, covenant love, sacrificial love, is agape. Like I said before, agape is what you would say in Greek. But the second would be eros. E-R-O-S, eros. And this is, as I think about this, thinking like, okay, so what, let's go back to the main question. Like, what happens to our relationships to go bad. How how did we end up from, you know, I will love you for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, sickness and health, until death do us part, to see you later. How, how do we go from there to there? I mean, is that agape? Love never fails? Of course not. So it can't be that. What is it? It's got to be eros. Because arrows can be extremely good in the context of a marriage as we see from the Bible verses, right? Be captivated by that kind of love. It's, this fi- it's a fire. It's can't be quenched. It's so precious you couldn't get enough money to pay for it. Eros can be extremely good in that context, but it also can be extremely bad in another context. This is from Proverbs 7. I don't know if you have, I don't know, think I gave you this one, did I? So just hold, hold that slide right there. But in Proverbs 7, a passage that scares the crap out of me, and it did when I was a young man, it talks to warn a young man. 
and to warn a young man against a certain kind of a woman, a certain kind of a beautiful woman who will approach you maybe on the street, maybe in a dance hall, maybe at a concert, maybe in a Bible study, I don't know. But the wise man is saying, be careful, watch out for this kind of woman. What kind of love do you think is operating here? Listen to this. Proverbs 7, verses 18 through 23. This is what she says. Come, let us drink deep of love until morning. Let us enjoy ourselves with love. My husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took his purse filled with money. He will not be home until full moon. With persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. All at once he followed her, like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose, till an arrow pierces its liver, like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. What's going on there? She's got new sheets on her bed. She scented them with rose petals. Sounds pretty enticing to me. But this is Eros gone wrong. This is Eros that's spoiled. So while Agape is really the love that is constant and never changes, Eros, it seems, has two faces. One that's good and one that's not. We get excited when we see Eros in a marriage. We should get a little scared when we see Eros outside of one. Because Eros spoiled can look really, really frightening. Maybe you've known people who have become obsessed with certain people as time goes on. They're fixated on a certain movie star, show up at the movie star's house, send the movie star letters. They become obsessed. If I can't have you, nobody else can have you. Sometimes they become violent. This is Eros gone terribly wrong. Eros is what stalkers are made out of. Eros gone bad is what stalkers are made out of. Eros gone bad becomes extremely jealous, exacting, resentful, not trustful. Almost the opposite of agape. It becomes controlling. You can't talk to anybody else. You can't talk to anybody of the opposite sex at all unless I'm there. I get to pick out your clothes. There's this terrible, terrible nature. It's what we all fear, isn't it? Don't we fear this, that we're going to start dating somebody and they're going to turn one day and become this weird chick from fatal attraction or whatever, you know, all of a sudden there's a dead bunny rabbit on our doorstep or something. So many guys I know, man, that, that movie scared, scared them like crazy. In a good way. I mean, I'm glad because that can happen. In the Western world, we, we fall in love to get married, we say. That's Eros, right? Eros is like the driving force that gets us to make a commitment because it's just so overpowering. It fills us with this longing for a person. I can't stop thinking about her. 
You write his name over and over again on your notebook at school. Just write his name because it's so cute, the name, the way it curves, the D and the Dan, you know. You just, oh, I'll print it now. I'll try old English lettering. Dan, Dan, Dan. I mean, girls do this, right? Guys can't stop thinking about girls either. I mean, we are, we are compelled. Just think about her. Here's a trick, ladies. If you're with your husband and um, you ask him, hey, did you think about me today? And he says, oh, yeah, yeah, I did. Ask him if it's with your clothes on. Ask that question. Because guys think about girls all the time when it comes to eros. And it goes very, very quickly into erotic. <laughs> but sometimes it's not that, you see, it's not even that you, you want to have sex. It's just that you want to go on thinking about about her. You're, you're enraptured. You're enchanted with this person. You know, she's just so cool. Can't believe there's a girl that likes to play Halo. It's amazing. <laughs> you're just enraptured. So we fall in love with this Eros thing, you see. So we think we fall in love to get married. But I want to tell you the truth. The truth is that you get married in order to be in love. Agape. You just don't know what it's like to be in love. Agape. Until you commit yourself to somebody through thick or thin. I mean, you don't know what it means to love somebody in sickness and in health until they get sick. And you've got to clean up their vomit. Or what about the couples we see where she becomes stricken with Alzheimer's and he cleans her, her diapers? That, my friends, is love. This man, in this case, is learning what it means to love his wife because finally, in sickness or in health, actually happened. So you really don't know what it means to love until you've gone through that. Will I be the kind of person that loves, or will I say, I'm going to hire somebody else to do all that stuff, smelly stuff. I don't want to take care of you, really. Or how about for rich or for poor? I mean, we find out that finances are a big reason that a lot of these marriages are breaking up, Right? People can't get through their finances. And yet they said for rich or for poor in their wedding vows. And I'm going, how do you know whether you love for rich or for poor unless you become poorer? If you can love through that, then you've got agape. If you don't, then agape is not there. It was something else holding you together. It certainly wasn't that kind of sacrificial covenant, unconditional love. Or how about for better or for worse? Look, this is what I'm saying. When you get married at scum, expect the worst to happen. Because if the worst doesn't happen, then you really don't love each other. We get married in order to be in love, a copy. Arrows can be likened to that delicious feeling of diving out of an airplane. You dive and all of a sudden you're floating in the air, the wind, and you can see everything. is exhilarating. You open your chute. You fall down to the ground. You all of a sudden have to pack up your chute and start walking. Going, Eros is the falling. Agape is the walking part. Eros is the diving part into the water, swimming. That would be the agape part. You don't know what it means to love until you've committed yourself to somebody. Don't kid yourself.
And God will give you a chance to walk that stuff out if you're serious about becoming like His Son, Jesus Christ. Because we know that God is what? God is love. What word do you think the Apostle John used? Agape. Exactly. Exactly. Marriage. Romance. Committed, committed love. You know, it wasn't always this way. I don't know if you guys realize this, but there used to be a thing called arranged marriages. Everybody, who, who knows what an arranged marriage is? Raise your hand. Everybody just about. Okay, great. All right. Well, what do you do if there's an arranged marriage in terms of romance? Got a little video for you to watch here I think you'll really like. This is fun. Golden, do you love me? Do I what? Do you love me? Do I love you? Well, with our daughters getting married and this trouble in the town, you're upset, you're worn out. Go inside, go lie down. Maybe it's indigestion. Uh, no, Golden, I'm asking you a question. Do you love me? You're a fool. I know. But do you love me? Do I love you? Well. For 25 years I've washed your clothes, cooked your meals, cleaned your house, given you children, milked your cow. After 25 years, why talk about love right now? Golden, the first time I met you was on our wedding day. I was scared. I was shy. I was nervous. So was I. But my father and my mother said we'd learn to love each other. And now I'm asking, Golden, do you love me? I'm your wife. I know. But do you love me? Do I love him? Well... For 25 years I've lived with him, fought with him, starved with him. 25 years my bed is his. If that's not love, what is? And you love me. I suppose I do. And I suppose I love you too. It doesn't change a thing But even so After 25 years It's nice to Isn't that great? Isn't that great? You see, romance really can't be controlled. It's capricious. It comes and it goes, kind of like the tide, only without the same frequency. You just don't know when it's going to come, when it's not going to come. I mean, how many movies have we seen where the boy enters in the party from one door, he looks across the crowded room and he locks eyes with this beautiful young girl on the other side. And try as he might to make it to her because he knows true love is waiting for him. You know, his buddies stop him, her girlfriends take her to the bathroom, you know, there's a big giant conga line in the middle and he can't get around it. <laughs> it never works out, you see? Conga line. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that certainly wasn't planned. Um, or, you've seen this scene too. She's preparing a dinner for the both of them. It's a special dinner because it's a special day. It's their anniversary. 
when they met, when they started dating, when they got married, doesn't matter. So she's gone to the roof of their apartment building and she's got a table up there and chairs and she's got a little boom box with violin music playing. And there's, there's a, a cloth, tablecloth. And, and there's, there's real cloth napkins, not paper. And, and, and there's china and, and there's candlesticks. And there's wine glasses, crystal wine glasses, and she pours a glass for him and she pours a glass for her because he's due any moment. She's had this cooking all day long, this scrumptious French meal that she's made. She's gotten dressed in a beautiful new dress. Cute but kind of sexy. And then... He's due back, but he's five minutes late, delayed in traffic or something, and pretty much she waits, and it's ten minutes, and then it's half an hour, and she keeps waiting. Then it's 45 minutes, and she starts drinking her wine, and pretty soon it's an hour and a half, and she goes ahead and eats hers all by herself, and he never shows up. You see, romance, we know, can't be counted on. It shows up when we can't do anything about it. And when we're ready for it, it doesn't happen. It's capricious. You see, the ancient people were not stupid. When they picked Cupid as a mascot for Eros, they knew what they were doing. Cupid's a little guy who runs around, makes people fall in love together who should never be together. This guy was somebody else's wife. And the people who should be loving each other, not a chance. He's not coming around for a while. And yet, our culture is obsessed with Eros. We teach Eros as the bedrock for relationships, and it's killing us, killing our marriages, killing our dating relationships, killing our engagements in between. I'm a dad. I have girls. I have boys. And I think I've grown to hate Walt Disney to a degree. I mean, I really like him, you know, he's a Czech-American guy, my wife's side of the family, so we, we, we kind of resonate with that. Um, love going to Disney World, Disneyland, that kind of thing. Enjoy the movies, actually. But I feel like I'm being sold and my kids are being sold a bill of goods that really cannot be lived up to. This happily ever after garbage, you know, Mermaids falling in love with princes. That shouldn't work. <laughs> you know. Some guy falling in love with a girl with whom he's never had a conversation because she's been sleeping for a hundred years. That's a crock. Now, I actually resonate with Beauty and the Beast a little bit. <laughs> At least that's true in our life. Very intelligent, willful heroine with an overbearing, grumpy, angry monster. That's probably the most realistic Disney movie, I think, out there. But this happily ever... I mean, how come they never show you, like, uh, Sleeping Beauty the next day, you know, or, <laughs> you know, the coming years when, you know, Snow White didn't have seven dwarves anymore doing all the work for her, but she had seven kids <laughs> and was trying to take care of them. I mean... Like, was there friction in the marriage? 
Did you ever compare Prince Charming to, I mean, I wish you were more like, you know, Doc or somebody. Or I wish you were funny like Dopey because he always made me laugh. And you just come home and all you expect is a meal and sex. I'm tired of this. I mean, wouldn't it be great to see them work through that? But I think at a very early age, we're sold a bill of goods about this romance being the bedrock for a marriage, and it kind of sets us up for failure. And then you kind of add on the TV show Friends on top of that. A lot of you grew up watching Friends. Here's a group of people who don't know what committed love is. I mean, it was every other week they're falling in love with somebody else. And of course, you know, the sex part was a matter of course. And then there were never any consequences on friends, never any STDs, never any unwanted pregnancies. Well, there was one. Ross and Rachel, right? But we wanted them to get together. But Ross and Rachel had no baggage from all their other couplings. I mean, aren't people emotionally scarred by that kind of thing? When people at Scum break up, I get phone calls. Oh, I can't live without him. Oh, oh, I can't believe she said that to me. What am I going to do? I mean, it's traumatic. But we're sold a bill of goods with shows like Friends because nobody ever suffers any consequences from romances that go wrong. And they go wrong all the time because there was somebody new every frickin' episode. Sex in the City just took it up a notch. Sex in the City took it up a notch. Then there's the romantic comedies... This is the part of the romantic comedy that I that I, I, I laugh at now. I kind of despise it. It's the it's the music video portion of every romantic comedy. You know what I'm talking about? Usually it occurs like you know, like boy meets girl, boy loses girl, boy gets girl. It's kind of the basic or girl meets boy, girl loses boy, girl gets boy. That's the basic outline of every romantic comedy. And there's always the music video after boy loses girl or or girl loses boy. And so they play, you know, some Aerosmith song. I don't know. And they're walking the streets alone waiting to get back together again. You know, something. Just got to keep believing or something like that. I don't know. So, um, and then it'll all come together. See, it just annoys me because I'm thinking, oh, yeah. all right, right. So what about the next time Boy Loses Girl? Like after the movie's over. So the entertainment media is selling us a bill of goods. I think that's bad. And I think the social media is selling us a, big, a bill of goods as well. Because they're providing an extremely easy way for you to hook up with your fantasy date from high school. Because you knew each other so well when you were in high school. You know, you had this little fling. You dated the cheerleader. Or you dated the boy that got away. And 20 years later, when your marriage is not doing so good, all of a sudden, bing, there they pop up on Facebook. And they want to know how you're doing. This is scary stuff. There was actually one pastor I read about who forbade his staff from being on Facebook for just those kinds of reasons. I'm going, what's going on in that pastor's life? (laughs) I mean, whoever would, I mean, I don't know. Was he tempted? Why would you do such a thing? Because it's so easy to hook up. It's so easy. And it always happens when things are not going well, when the romance has left your own marriage, that's when somebody else starts looking attractive because the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. All you have in those memory banks of yours are what wonderful times you had in high school or college or last year. Chat rooms, Twitter. Boy, that's gotten some of our 
elected officials in trouble lately. I'm thinking with a name like Wiener, like you would have a clue. (laughs) Texting, sexting. Isn't that the word, sexting? Yeah. Crazy. They apprehended that one teacher for carrying on an illicit affair with her student, married teacher, young guy in her class. They get it on, right? Uh, They go through a whole court thing. You know, she's leading them away. Uh, This person in a position of trust. And so, you know, she's waiting for her trial. And all of a sudden, uh, she starts sexting him, sending videos of herself, doing suggestive dances. I'm going, come on, your trial's on the way. What are you doing? But you see, under the effects of of Eros gone bad, these are the kind of things that happen. So what's our solution? What are we to do? How are we to view this? It's about who we worship. It's about what we worship. Worship, service, pretty much the same words. Do you worship Cupid or do you worship Jesus? Do you worship Eros or do you worship Agape? Do you serve your concept of romance or do you serve the concept of covenant love? Do you worship your happiness or do you worship holiness? I remember talking to one young lady as her pastor. I remember she uh, was married, but she had fallen in love with another guy. As a result of falling in love with another guy, she wasn't working on her marriage. And she asked me this question, don't you want me to be happy? This is my answer. Of course I want you to be happy. But if I have to choose between you being holy or you being happy, I will choose holy every time. And she was really, really pissed off at me. What does Jesus want you to be if you've got a choice? Fulfilled or good? What does Jesus want you to be? Fulfilled or good? What's the purpose of the Christian life? Who are we worshiping? Whom are we serving? A God who says that He is agape. We are being transformed into the image of His Son Jesus, who was love. Why do we get married? We get married... To meet our own therapeutic needs? Is marriage there to meet our therapeutic needs? Let me ask you a question. Is God there to meet your therapeutic needs? Is your relationship with God simply therapeutic? You're in it for what you get out of it? Or is your relationship with God one where He is the deity and you are the worshiper? This may be the second generation. I think mine is the first that considers our fulfillment and our happiness of utmost importance. We all want jobs that are fulfilling. My grandparents, your great-grandparents, and before them just wanted jobs that paid the rent and put food on the table. 
back in Tevye and Golda's day, they just wanted a marriage that worked, that produced children, that stayed together. But we're looking for fulfillment. And there's nothing wrong with fulfillment. I'm all about fulfilling my wife's greatest dreams and desires in my better moments. She's all about fulfilling mine in hers. But we, honestly, folks, don't get married to get our needs met. That's not agape. Agape means meeting someone else's needs. So I suggest that instead of worshiping Eros, as we do in this culture, we take Eros and we bring it down to a position of lesser authority and power in our lives. We place agape in the position to be worshipped. Let me put it another way. If you have idols of romance in your life, I want you to smash them and make them subject to the one true God in front of whom there should be no other idols, including romance. It doesn't matter if you're a married person or if you're a single person. you got to start doing it now. Because if you take God who is agape, and you place him in the proper place to be worshipped, be reverenced, even to be feared. Everything else in your life will go well. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added as well, including romance. You know, there's really no situation so bad that You can't make it worse. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. My wife and I loved each other. There was all the arrows in some despair. I remember seeing her in the water, in the pool, when I was a lifeguard. And agape swelled up in me. No. (laughs) And um, she was uh, taken with me. She found out I was a Christian youth worker kind of guy. And, you know, since she was Catholic, and those kinds of dudes who did ministry were kind of out of touch, like out of what was proper. Like you couldn't date a priest. Dating me was pretty dang hot. So that works for me. But, you know, we had this great dating relationship. We got engaged, and then things started to go a little bit sour because she's looking at me going, hmm, I don't know if I can live with that behavior for the rest of my life. And I was doing the same kind of thing. And pretty soon, Eros had fled, it was gone. And then it would come back again, and it was gone. Then it would come back again, and it was gone. And it came back again, and we got married, and then it was gone. And then it came back, and it was gone. And it came back again, and it was gone. And it came back, and the makeup sex is great, and then it was gone. I mean... There's no situation so bad you can't make it worse. I can tell, tell you this, that, that we hung in there by God's grace, a lot of prayer, a lot of counseling, a lot of community involvement in our marriage, pastors, teachers, people like that, good friends who came around us, helped us stay together when I didn't want to be together, when she didn't want to be together, and, and we hung in there by God's grace, 33 years next week. So, yeah. 
And, and this is the great thing, is that, you know, I remember when I didn't have any feelings for my wife. I was just doing the Christian guy thing. I was being a good Christian husband and father to the best of my ability, even though I didn't feel a lot. This is to my own shame, you understand. I'm not, I mean, I'm an idiot, but by God's grace hung in there. And I, I can tell you that we are more in love now than we've ever been before. Romance is kind of taken residence in our relationship and only leaves, you know, for short periods of time. It's awesome. But I wouldn't have seen it if I hadn't somehow, by God's grace, managed to stay the course. Now, this is not a sermon about divorce. Um, we talked about divorce a while ago, back in the Gospel of Mark. You can go back and listen to that message. This is a marriage, romance, agape sermon. So that's what I'm talking about. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take some Q&A, if you would like. Anybody have any questions or comments you want to make about what I've said? Yes, yeah, sir. Do I think some people are meant to be single? Well, I would only have to quote Jesus, who said, yeah, some. I mean, some are. I don't know what to say about that. Um... He said, some are, you know, some are, you know, some, honestly, some people are, are made without the proper equipment. You know what I'm saying? Um, and that's what Jesus was referring to. Some are, are kind of made eunuchs from birth. They just are. And um, so, evident, in that case especially. But he said, some people, for the sake of the kingdom of God, will actually choose not to get married. And so that's a gift, I guess, that nobody wants, but it's a gift. No, but seriously, if you look at the history of the church, there have been lots and lots of, of people who have chosen to remain single in order to serve God. You know, your great heroes of the faith, Mother Teresa, St. Francis, you know, those kinds of folks have, have chosen to remain single in order to, to serve God, and they've been amazing. So, yeah, I think some people are. Some people are not. And uh, I guess you find out by the time your life's over. Just don't know how to answer that any more than that. Any other questions? <laughs> questions, comments? All right. I have more to say, but it's late, and I'm going to quit. Um, if you want to talk more about this, please feel free to come up to me afterwards. Let's pray. Lord Jesus. Big topic. Certainly can't cover everything in one sermon. Lord, I ask that you would be gentle with us and be gracious with us and teach us everything we need to know about what it means to be people who love. People who place agape above arrows. People who love you and love others with the kind of love you talk about in 1 Corinthians 13. Lord, let everything in our lives be subject to that, including romance. In your name, amen.